last year, I, I'm sorry, the DCBC phone again. This is very familiar because I told this story earlier. <laughs> last year, I, I, um, I read a book about apples. Uh, it was by an author who was allergic to apples. And in the introduction, he told us how he discovered his allergy to apples. I thought, this is going to go, not go very far. I've got a, I'm reading a book about apples by a man who is allergic to them, so therefore I can't even eat them. But anyway, luckily, luckily for him, uh, something happened with the apples when they were made into cider, and he could drink cider, but he couldn't eat apples. Uh, or he could have it in a pie, I think, but he couldn't eat a raw apple. Um, anyway, I, I, this guy is a guy called Peter Brown. He's written lots of books about beer and cider and pubs, and I thought this would be a book predominantly about his love of cider. Um, however, as it turned out, it was literally a book about apples. Um, so I learnt, for no reason whatsoever, I spent you know, quite a few weeks learning about everything I could possibly ever know about apples. And um, I was quite, actually, I quite, I, yeah, it was quite enjoyable. I did enjoy it, it's, uh, and I would, I would recommend this book about apples. But one thing I did learn was about pruning. Okay. Apple trees to bear fruit every single year, need to be really hard pruned. They need to be taken back. Uh, and in the process, uh, you help, you create a, a healthier tree, which produces, of course, healthier apples. Like apple trees, vines need to be pruned. If they are not pruned, then over a short period of time, they will produce weak and poor fruit. But a well-kept vine will produce good fruit every year. So what does Jesus say? He starts off with these words, I am the true vine. I understand you've been looking at the I am statements over the last few weeks, and so you'll be aware that Jesus does not use these words, I am, accidentally. A point is being made. It's no accident there are seven sayings, because seven, as you all probably well know, is the perfect number. It is the number of days in a week, and also in John, the seven is used as seven signs, which are the signs of who Jesus was. So the two seven I am statements, seven signs, go hand in hand. Jesus is not only making a statement that he is sent or represents God. The words I am, you hopefully will know that I am was what, when when Moses went to talk to God in the burning bush, he asked, you know, got to this discussion of the name and God said, I am, I am who I am. So I am, when Jesus says I am, he's making a clear statement, I am God. He is the word of God dwelling amongst us. He is the voice of the Father. The vine image is also important. So I am, he's clearly saying, I am as in Yahweh, as in God, as in the the God of the Old Testament. The next thing, the vine is really important. The vine, there is two, two pictures of Israel in terms of agricultural images. One is the olive tree and the other is the vine. Psalm 81 to 8, a vine is planted in the promised land. Isaiah 5, a vineyard 
is born of wild grapes. The vineyard vine image runs throughout much of the prophetic books of the Old Testament. So when Jesus says, I am the vine, he is saying, I am Israel. But there's another word he uses, I am the true vine. So he starts off by saying, I am the true vine. He isn't just any vine. He is the true vine. He's not just aligning himself with the image of the vine. He is saying that he is the real vine. He is the true vine. He is saying that when the historic idea of Israel is now me, is incorporated in me, he has embodied Israel. I am the true vine. He will do what Israel fails to do. Jesus comes to fulfill the law, what Israel failed to do. I am the true vine. And he's going to do something that was promised right back at the start. He is going to be a light to the Gentiles. He is going to bring in the Gentiles into the community of Israel, allowing non-Jews to enter the kingdom of God. He is doing what Israel failed to do, and therefore he is completing it, fulfilling it, and he is therefore the true vine. I am God, the true vine. And then Jesus goes on to say, remain in me. One of um, Jesus' favourite words in Greek in John is meno. It's often translated remain or stay or abide, and it's described as a profound, intimate and enduring relationship. True disciples remain in Jesus, abide in his word, in his teachings. In 14.10, 11, it is used to describe Jesus' relationship with God. Remain, he remains with God. So he remains with God. That is his relationship with God. In 17.21, when you remain in Christ, you remain in God, is what he says. So if we remain in Jesus, it is not about our effort but our relationship with Jesus and in the indwelling spirit that resides in us. This is not a fleeting relationship with God. It is an enduring relationship, a profound and intimate relationship with Jesus and God. And the key element is fruitfulness. Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, you will know my followers by their fruit. I'm going to come on to that a little bit later. But I want to stick with the vine image for a minute. The vine, to produce good fruit, year in, year out, needs to be pruned. Pruning can be brutal. (coughs) In my book on apples... Uh, It talks about the need for really hard pruning. And sometimes, to an outsider, the pruning looks, looks like it would be so destructive that it would kill the tree. It looks like it would do more damage than good. But it is what is needed. And if it does, if it's pruned well, then you will get a surplus crop of good apples the next year. But the thing about the pruned branch, so if you chop off, lop off a branch... What is it good for? Well, it no longer remains in the tree, and therefore it will never bear fruit again. And therefore, if a pruned branch, what can you do with it? Well, Jesus says simply, you throw it away, you burn it, you put it in the fire. 
So a pruned branch will get burnt, will get destroyed, will become fruitless. But if you stay close to the tree, you will stay healthy, you will stay productive, you will be fruitful, and you will so stay close to Jesus. Stay close to his words and you will see fruit. Paul, probably some of you know, and uh, writes about the fruits of the Spirit. That is the fruit we produce if we allow the Spirit of God to shape us. I want to concentrate on two of those fruits because they're both mentioned in this passage. I'm not picking them out of the air. They're both here. I want, I'm not doing that because I think they're the two most important because I don't think they are. I think it's just because they're the two mentioned here. I think all Christians and all churches should be fruitful. And if a church or a Christian is not marked out through the fruit listed in Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-controlled, or it isn't in a trajectory of that direction towards those things, because I think when you become a Christian, you become all of those things. But with the Spirit's help, you move in the direction of being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, then that is a good test as to whether people are being fruitful, whether they are indeed in Christ, whether they are following the words of Christ. So the two I'm going to look at, because they're in this passage, are joy and love. If we obey the words of Christ... We will receive joy, but not just any joy. In my book, my Bible, it says overflowing joy. We live in a world that doesn't understand joy. You know, a lot of the stuff you, the self-help books you read will talk about how to be happy. Happiness is a short-term emotion. Joy is about finding contentment even in the hardest places. Joy is found in the ashes of despair. Joy is something completely different in some ways from happiness. It's not about that emotion of happiness. It's about a contentment, even in the most difficult, hardest places. Um, The guys from DCBC will get bored of me now, because I spent the last year talking about generosity, hospitality and joy. <clears throat> we put that, well, I kind of forced it on church, as our vision. It was because we had a leaders meeting and we, we had a vision day and those are the three words that came to me. Generosity, vision, uh, generosity, hospitality and joy. And that was our vision for last year and it's going to be our vision for this year to be a community that are generous, hospitable and joyful. <clears throat> I believe a church without joy is a miserable place to be. And so what I think as a community we want to do is is create opportunities to be joyful together. And one of those ways we do is eating together. So in the summer that might be getting cracking open the the summer uh, the, the the church barbecue and having a barbecue together. Um, it might be a bring and share meal. It might be a big breakfast which we did once one Sunday last year. Or it might be what we're doing on Sunday this coming Sunday. <clears throat> We're having a pasty lunch after the service, so we've all we've got our pasties ordered, and we're going to have a, 
a mass pasty lunch after the service on Sunday. You are welcome. If you want to come down after your service, come down. We've got some pasty. should have pasties left over or so. But we want church <clears throat> to be a joyful place for people to be. Because I, I believe that if we aren't joyful, why would anyone want to join us? You don't go to join a miserable community of people, do you? I want to go join that miserable bunch of people that don't like each other and don't spend any time with each other and can't stand each other. No, you're not going to have that. So the only way as a community we're going to increase is if we actually like each other, want to spend time with each other, and actually want to be joyful with each other. By remaining in Jesus and his word, joy you will receive, overflowing joy. You will be overwhelmed by joy. Remain in Jesus and his word and you will be overwhelmed in joy. This church needs to become again a joyful community. You need to find ways to love each other. Maybe come to that in there in a second. Because the other fruit is love. I don't know if any of you have read any, read any, any of John's letters later on in the, in the New Testament. <clears throat> but I like John because <clears throat> there's a trajectory in John's writing. And that trajectory uh, you, f- you feel it in the Gospels, but it then comes into completion in 1 John in his letter. When he says two statements, well, the same statement twice, in, 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 in 1 John, in his letter 1 John, 4 or 5, I can't remember, I've lost, my brain's gone, where, God, where John writes a simple three-word statement that is life-changing. He says this, God is love. Do you know, there's not many places where God is defined in the Bible. Even in the Bible, God is never really fully defined. But 1 John, the writer of this gospel, who later wrote the letters, says, God is love. And Jesus is, of course, God. So Jesus is love. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus, then we should be marked out by our love. We should be people of love. Do you know, Jesus doesn't give many commandments, but when asked to, to sum up, the, give the greatest commandment, he sums up the law, summarizes the law by saying two quotes from the Old Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. But Jesus doesn't stop there. If you think it's easy, that sounds okay, I can love my neighbours, love myself. Jesus goes further. He says, it's easy to love those people you like and like you. That's, that's, that's okay, we could all do that. Jesus adds later on, you need to love those that hate you. Jesus says here, this is my command. This is read it. John 15, 17. This is my command. Love each other. Love each other. Jesus says, You are my friends if you do what I command. He says, We're no longer slaves. You're no longer a slave. Because a slave-master relationship is one based on power and control. 
But friends is based on friendship, relationship. God does choose us, but we also have to respond to that choosing. That's a basis of relationship, isn't it? French friends choose each other, don't they? When you can you think about the friends in your life, how did you how did you meet them? When did you meet them? You know, all of our friends is a process of of relationship. God has opened the door for all humanity. Everyone in the world, everyone has a possibility of being friends with God. All we have to do is receive and accept the offer. And if you do, you're no longer considered slaves, you're no longer slave, but friends of God. And in that friend relationship, we can be fruitful. But we are only God's friends if we love each other. I'm always confused about how horrible Christians can be sometimes to each other, particularly if we disagree. And I believe we are meant to treat each other well. And when we're not loving each other, it's grieving God. But it also damages our witness to the world out there. The church needs to reflect an alternative, a new way of being human, founded in Christ and living and learning to love. There's a verse here, uh, and it gets used quite a lot. You are, there is no greater love than to lay, one, one, lay down one's life for one's friends. Tom Wright says this, God honours, I believe, the self-sacrifice and dedication of those who severely, sincerely and devoutly believe they are doing their duty, but also believe God judges those who use texts like this as a convenient rhetorical trick to put moral pressure on other people. This verse has been used so many times to convince people to go to war. But actually, this, this passage is not about going to war but dying in love. Jesus dies not to fight people, but to, as a, an active, sorry, a passive act of resistance. Jesus dies because of his great love for us. Jesus chooses to die rather than fight. He chooses to die on our behalf. He's not punished to appease an angry deity, as some people say, but he's living, dying, and rising to make a new way of being human possible. A new humanity, not defined by what we are against, but what we are for. Not defined by who is out, but who is in. It is a victory of love over hate. This love is something we, as a body of Christ, who follow Christ, who live for Christ, need to reflect. And that will mean choosing love over hate. Choosing to love people in the face of hatred. Choosing a cross, dying rather than fighting. It is a hard and difficult way to live. 
But that is the way Jesus chose to live. And that is the way, as followers of Christ, we need to learn to live. There is a a temptation in our uncommitted world to remain detached. We live in an uncommitted world. You know, people don't join things as much as they used to. People like to remain standoffish, uncommitted. And we find this in our church in DCBC. We find that it takes a long time for people to commit. People are wary of committing themselves too quickly. People want to know sometimes what they're going to get out of it before they find whether they can commit to it. Others people, other people, maybe some people in this room, are wary of baptism because it shows that you actually physically commit to something. Like to keep our options open. But Jesus says, get committed to me. Remain in me. But also, don't just get committed to me. Get committed to each other. Love each other. Commit to loving each other as I have loved you. And if we do that, we will start bearing healthy fruit. Fruit that will not need pruning to grow, but will continue to grow year in, year out. So get committed to God, because God was and is committed to you. And he shows that by sending his son to live, die and rise, so that we can have relationship with him. Commitment to God will disturb you. It will break your comfort zones. You will do things that you never thought you'd do. He is wanting commitment to God that will disturb you. It means not living the life that you planned or chose, but the life that he has chosen for you. That may affect, this is where it gets scary, it might affect the job you choose to do. You know, I said this morning at DCBC, that when I was 11 years old, all I wanted to do was be a politician. And when someone prophesied over me that I'd be a teacher of God, I said, yeah, yeah, a politician could do that. Um, And here I am, like 30 years later, doing this. It may affect the job you choose to do. It may affect the area you choose to live in. It may affect the way you worship God or where you worship God. Don't, we only have, do you know, only have one life. Don't settle for any life. Don't settle for just any life. Settle for a life in Christ, which will be the best life you can possibly live. And unfortunately, when you get set for that, you get set for a roller coaster of a full life. Because fruitfulness is not easy. Because fruitfulness, a fruitful tree sometimes needs pruning. And pruning hurts. And here I'm going to mix a metaphor. Sorry, I'm going to mix lots of metaphors. I think Jesus does here a little bit. But if you remain in him, if you remain in Jesus... If you follow him, if you put your trust in him, if you commit your life to him, even if it doesn't turn out the way you think, he will never leave you. What does that mean for you this evening, that Christ will never leave you? Where are you trusting in yourself rather than God? Where are you putting your happiness over God's joy for you? Where are you choosing to love? even when it hurts and it's difficult. So I'm going to repeat those questions for you, G. And I want you to think about those and maybe go away with those. 
What does, where are you trusting in yourself over God? Where are you putting your happiness over God's joy for you? And where are you choosing to love even when it hurts? Let's pray. Lord, help us to find ways to be joyful with each other. Because I believe that when we are joyful with each other, then something fruitful happens and we see growth. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we can learn to love each other, even when it hurts, even when it means dying for each other. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will enable us to love each other till it hurts, because you loved us till it hurt. In your holy name, amen.